pray with me, please. We thank you, Lord, that we are indeed part of your family. I thank you for people among us who've been adopted into families in this room. And I thank you that all of us are adopted into your family. So thank you for examples among us where families have formed and love has been expressed and new life is being given. We thank you that's occurring in our lives as well. So thank you that we're no longer slaves, that we're free because of Jesus. We do pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. A couple more years, I'm not going to be able to lift that thing. It's like a church circle back to last week. If you remember last week, um, I, I led us at the end, looking at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. We, we did a, an extended time of confession. I led us through a long prayer of created space for confession, and then we had opportunity for healing prayer. And I'd like to just see if we could see how we experienced that. So I have two questions from last week. Uh, as we prayed that long time in prayer together, if you, if you had a sense of the presence of the Lord for you, around you, in you, if you sensed that last week, could you raise your hand so we could just see? Could you raise it high? Oh, hi. Look, sorry, okay. Thank you. Um, can I push? Did anyone confess their sins to someone last week? If you did that, could you raise your hand besides me? Okay, there are a few of us. So remember now, the whole verse in James is don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. And so we want to keep pushing into doing what we're being invited into in the scriptures. And so in that light, can I have the last slide, please, Jim? In the series on the Psalms, we're going to invite all of us who want to, to write your own psalm. Children, students, everyone. And what we'd like to do is then we would like to share those and post those. We can together see the shared psalms that we write. Now, the reason we do that, and over the next nine weeks, you heard it in the front end of the service, we have a card online, QR code. Here are the nine different kinds of psalms we're going to be addressing. And we're going to start inviting you to listen to the psalms, to read the psalms, and write your own. So let me give you an example of two. So a friend of mine who is a professor in Texas, right where the killing was by Robb Elementary School, this is the psalm he wrote, the prayer he wrote in anger. O Lord, you abhor, you hate those who murder the innocent. Don't be deaf to our bitter cries. Don't abandon us in our pain this day. Hear our raging words of protest, for you are the Lord of heaven's armies. To respond to their groans for justice and meet us in the fatigue and death and wanton killing in our streets. Awake, Lord. Rouse yourself. Deliver us from evil for the sake of your name and your reputation. Now that's an honest psalm. Several weeks ago, I asked our staff to join me, and we're writing our own psalms as a, as a staff, and I used an example in staff prayer. One of our women's staff wrote and gave me permission to read from hers. This is her psalm. I cried out parts of it. I cried in the darkness, and though I could not see you, you were there. 
Your hand was on my shoulder, protecting and comforting me. And the refrain this person uses multiple times is this. You are the author and perfecter of my story. You'll bring its purposes to completion. Now listen to the honesty. I railed at you in anger, though I did not trust you, as though I did not trust you. You were still there. Your chest withstood my pounding fists. You accepted and understood me in my pain. You are the author and perfecter of my story. You'll bring its purposes to completion. And then the person writes, I laid my pain before you, though I offered nothing. You were there. Your arms were wrapped around me. You are healing and restoring me. So what we'd like to do is just take whatever psalms, and there are different kinds. There are about 23 different kinds. We just picked nine. Let me give you just an example. So you have psalms of thanksgiving, like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within thee, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 103, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. How about Psalm 137? It's called an imprecatory psalm. Lord, I'm, I'm quoting scripture, take my enemy's babies and break their heads against the rocks. Amen. That's called an imprecatory psalm. The psalms have a whole range of emotions. And what the psalms are, the honest prayers of God's people, and they've been prayed by the people of God for thousands of years. So over the summer, we want to enter into becoming a praying the psalms people, and we invite you to write your psalms. So can I invite you please to, oh, last slide please, Jim, I'm sorry, I jumped away from that. So listen to, listen to this uh, on the QR code, uh, iTunes. You can write your own psalm, record, recall, restate, resolve. I'll come back to this. Write your own over the coming weeks. And then if you'd be willing, you can send it to Mike online, Mike R at TRC Pella, or you can bring it in the office. We're going to try to find a place to share all our psalms, whatever God is doing in us and through us, and we're going to offer ourselves to the Lord. So my task this morning is to work on the word honesty. So can I invite you please to open your Bibles to Psalm 32. We don't know for sure. In, in the other room, uh, auditorium, John uh, Farrar is using Psalm 51. We think Psalm 32 with Psalm 51 was written after a man named David committed adultery. Uh, the young woman became pregnant. Uh, then he had, David had this woman's husband killed. And we think this Psalm was written along with Psalm 51 after he had done all of that. So here are the words of a man who is honestly talking with God. He said, blessed, makarios, happy, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, when I was dishonest, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and your strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And now verse eight, the Lord speaks. And God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. 
Then David returns. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which you have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. People of God, the word of God. Okay, let me give you some questions that I just were forming, and I didn't, I didn't have these written down. These came to me yesterday. So let me just ask some questions, and we'll go back to this passage. What, could, you ask, could each of us ask and answer ourselves these questions? What things in my life can I be honest relatively easy about? What things can I be honest with myself easily? What are things that are more difficult for me to be honest about? In what ways has my family of origin shaped my thinking about being honest? What specific factors make it difficult for me to be open, transparent, and authentic in honesty? What am I afraid of will happen if I'm truly honest? What will happen if I'm really honest? Now, this is the question I really want to end up with. Why do so many of us take sin more seriously than grace? When I use the word grace, I'm talking about it is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Why in our tradition, in the Reformed tradition, are we so aware of sin, rightly so, but why do we spend so little time on grace? Because it, the scripture says it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So why do we do this to each other so much? If this is the tribe we're living in, how hard is it to be honest with our sins? So then we have to be hypocrites because I can't take all the judgment coming back at me. How about this one? In what ways have I taken sin either too seriously or not seriously enough? And then the question I really want you to think about, in what ways have I not taken grace seriously enough? So this week I was invited into a situation where someone relapsed from an addiction. And this, I tell you this story with permission. And in the situation, there was a relapse and there was uh, some difficult, obviously, stuff. The family gathered together and there was a lot of hurt, rightly so, pain, rightly so, a lot of anger. And just a little bit of coaching here. In, in systems theory, every family system has a scapegoat. Family systems have scapegoats. And oftentimes, someone gets often shamed or blamed with something. So this person in this family was the scapegoat. Again, fell into addiction, and the family was very unhappy. So we processed through all that, and then I said to the family, this is the question. I said, okay, now you just heard the confession. The person has acknowledged what has happened, and is now asking if he can be readmitted into this family's life. And people just sat like this because this has been a difficult story. So then I asked this question. So, will you let this person be thrown under your family's bus or will you allow him to now enter back into your family's bus? So how far does grace go? 
In Psalm 32, how it begins, can I have slide, the first slide, Jim? How he begins with, there's honesty offers freedom. When we are honest, there is a freedom which often leads to flourishing. So that's where I would like to go with you this morning. Now, let me take this passage and let me break it down real clearly for you because I want you to see the, the back and forth. As I, you know, I've been, obviously been reading the Bible for a long time, but I'm just struck by the magnificence of the way the scriptures are written. So let, let, me, let me just take you through this. It is, it is, it's powerfully significant. So look at verses one and two. Verses one and two, this, look at the blessings of honesty when there's a confession. Blessed, makarios, happy, contented is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and against who, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Jim, can I have slide number four, please? And then five. So in those first couple of verses, he uses three different words to describe this brokenness. He uses sins, iniquities, and transgressions. And next slide. So this is what those words mean. Those words mean someone who rebels, or falls short, who regularly fails, is corrupt, is bent, is crooked, who twists what is right. Blessed, happy is the person who acknowledges these things. So instead of holding it down in dishonesty, let me give you a word picture. Imagine you're in a swimming pool, and when I was a younger person, I was a lifeguard when I was in the younger person, and, and I used to watch, we used to have a game we'd play the lifeguards. We'd go in the deep end, and we'd see how many balls, we, uh, big inflatable balls, we could hold underwater at the same time. And I was a very good swimmer, and so I could hold five, I could keep five balls under the water while, while I was keeping my legs paddling. Now, I can't keep one. I'm older, I'm slower, and I don't have the dexterity I had when I was young. When we are young, we think we can hold the balls of our sin underwater, and for a while, maybe we can, but at some point, they start popping up. And when he says, blessed, happy, Makarios is the person who says, yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. If I could, I would invite us all to go to an AA meeting in Des Moines in groups of around 10. It is the most rich, AA groups are rich. Why are they rich? Because the people sitting in that room absolutely acknowledge their addiction and their pain. There's no pretense. Hello, my name is Kevin, I'm an alcoholic. And you will all say to me, hello, Kevin. And we go right around the circle and we all acknowledge. See, in that group, no balls are held under the water. They're all up. What happens? What happens when we are honest with our brokenness and sin? There is a freedom that comes that we can live with freedom. We can live in freedom. We can flourish. Back to the passage. Thank you, Jim. Let's go back now. Let's look at verses three through five. Now, he's going to share what he has learned from experience. Look at his experience. When I kept silent, when I was dishonest before the Lord, my bones wasted away. And that phrase literally means my bones grew old. 
through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength, my vitality was sapped as in the heat of the desert summer. Then, verse 5, here's his experience. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. There's one of those words. I did not cover my iniquity. There's a second word. I said, I will confess my transgressions to you, Lord. There's a third word. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now look how he, look at the transition now. Now he's going to talk about what he feels, protective love of God. Therefore, that all the faithful pray to you, Lord, while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters, that which is hidden in dishonesty, the sin, the brokenness, will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. We just sang that. That's the last line in the song we just sang. No longer slaves. Look at verse 7 now. I'm sorry, verse 8. Now the Lord breaks in and speaks. And the Lord says, after he's honest, he's confessed. He says in verse 8, I will instruct you. Three words. I will instruct you. Two, I will teach you in the way you should go. Three, I will counsel you with my loving eye to on you or to guide you. Instruct teach, and counsel. Now, let me, just, let me just play with this now with you, what I observe. So, 42 years of being a pastor. If we don't deal with our sins, then we get stuck. We get stuck in these places, and we don't have the freedom that is being offered us in Jesus. Today is Pentecost Sunday. The Holy Spirit wants to give us the more, the more, the more, but we get stuck in these places. Therefore, when we confess it, there's something, there's just, there is something so rich about being honest. So rich. Um, you, you hear me this morning? Are you hearing me? I'm going to push. So can, can I push this morning? Help me, okay? So I asked, how many of us confessed our sins last week to somebody? And I counted seven people. I'm not, not, not beating you up. Don't hear that. Don't hear that. I'm just repeating what James said. Don't just be hearers of the word. Do what it says. Why? Because the Lord wants us to be freed. The Lord wants to set us free. Our junk. We're, we sang, we're no longer slaves. We talked about the Red Sea party. That is what's being offered. But if we don't deal with our junk, we don't know that freedom. And then we feel like we're still slaves. Am I speaking the truth? I mean, that's why last week, the prayer I wrote, I used the word besetting sin, B-E-S-E-T-T-I-N-G, besetting sin. That is a sin that I do habitually. Maybe I'm not addicted to alcohol. Maybe I'm not addicted to pornography. Maybe I'm not addicted to whatever. But I have besetting sins. So my, I told you, you know my besetting sin. Here's my besetting sin. 67 years old, 40 years past. This is my besetting sin. I'm, I'm confessing it. The Lord's working on me. He's helping me. I fear you more than I fear God. That's my besetting sin. And I'm asking the Lord, and he's been working to heal me of that besetting sin, and we fall back into our besetting sins. When, I have, when I'm being driven to keep all of you happy, I am in absolute bondage. So you ask my wife, what's it like to live with a guy who works 100 hours a week? Why am I working 100 hours a week? Because I don't want you mad at me. I don't want to hear angry emails. I didn't show up at the hospital. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. So, <laughs> and my besetting sin is just holding me in bondage. Let me ask you, what's your, what's your besetting sin? 
What is it that just holds you, that binds you? See, that's what the Lord is asking us. So I, I'm confessing this. I, re, I confess to the elders who are my brothers, and I'm becoming free of that. See, what, you know what really helped me? I'll be just really transparent. Kirk's death has been huge in freeing me from my besetting sin. It took my son's death for the light bulb to really go on that don't have to fear people. Isn't that something? Isn't that sad? All of us have besetting sins and the Lord wants to set us free. So that's what this is about. So in verse eight, he says what? I will instruct you, I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Now verse nine, another learning from experience. Here's what he learns. He says to himself, says to us, don't we like the horse or the mule which you have no understanding but must be controlled by bit, bit and bridle or they will come to you. Now verse 10, this is the beautiful line. Many are the woes of the wicked. So here, those who are dishonest, don't acknowledge their brokenness and sin, but the Lord's unfailing love. That word in one, the Hebrew word there is hesed, H-E-S-E-D. If you take a notes, Exodus 34, verses five through seven. That is God's self-description. You wanna know what God, what God's, how God describes himself it's Exodus 34, five through seven. That word, hesed, unfailing love, is right out of Exodus 34. So what he's saying is, his unfailing love is coming to the person who just says, this is who I am. No, it's always present to us, but in our brokenness and our sin, we do, we're no longer slaves to fear, but why are we stuck with our besetting sins? We live with so much internal shame and self-condemnation, and what he's saying is, just acknowledge it. We acknowledge it. And then we get set free. We live with unfailing love. Let me give you a phrase now. Listen to this phrase. It comes from Dallas Willard. The phrase is this. Those disciples of Jesus burn grace like a 747 burns fuel. What does he mean by that? We live and are propelled and move forward constantly with grace. But oftentimes we don't realize it. And when we focus on sin, 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 judge, judge, sin, sin, sin. The family I met with this week. So my question to the family is, you gonna throw them under the bus? We let them back on the bus. How far does grace go? No. We are saved by grace through faith, yes. But folks, we need grace all the time. So we need to be people who are free to receive grace and we need to be people who are free to give grace. Jesus came, John 1:14, full of grace and truth. Grace is always first, but it is always connected to truth. But grace comes first. So what this passage is saying is the Lord's unfailing love is to all of us. And then in verse 11, he goes back to now rejoicing because of his honesty and freedom. Rejoice in the Lord, be glad you're righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Let me go now to the statistics, some, up some cups, uh, number six, and then we're gonna go to number eight. Number six. So what, what Psalm 32 is talking about is honesty. Dishonesty with God 
leads to us being trapped in the bondage to sin. So we can sing, I am no longer a slave. But if we don't deal with this which binds us, yes, we are. And we can sing it all we want, but the Lord wants to set us free. That's his desire, that's his heart. He is a God of compassion. His kindness leads us to repentance. So honesty leads to freedom and allows us to flourish. And dishonesty leads to hiding and shame. So my question is, do we want to live in bondage or do we want to flourish in love? Let me go back to last week. And I just want, I want to be careful here. I don't want to you know, be yucky at any way. But I would just encourage you, find a trusted person with whom you can increasingly share the depths of your heart. If you are married, I would pray that that be the person you're married to. But I, I think I used, I can't remember what service last week, but when I do pre-marriage counseling, I, I use this example. Did I do the card thing with you last week? Did I do that one? Okay, thank you, Shuffles. I did it with you many years ago. <laughs> many years ago. This is what I observe in marriages. Pretend, let's pretend Lane is here and she's sitting here, and look at the fiberglass, look at this. Can you see the reflection here? So Lane is sitting here, and she has her cards like this. And I'm sitting here, and I'm going, I wonder what cards she has. Why do I want to know? Because until she puts her cards down, I'm not putting my cards down. Follow me. In a lot of marriage relationships, we're still holding a lot of cards. So how can you have a deep and intimate relationship, one flesh, one of heart, one of soul, one of spirit, one of body, when the cards don't come down? So honesty with a person, our closest neighbor, these are my cards. Now, 43 years of being married, I must confess, I still got a couple cards that don't drop so easily. But most of them are down. And why is that important? Because the scriptures say you leave your father and your mother and you cleave and you become one flesh. And the word one flesh means one of whole heart, one of soul, one of spirit, one of body. And when the cards come down, when there is honesty, there's opportunities to flourish. So, now, action steps. So this, we'd like to invite you, if you'd be willing, would you be willing every week to listen to the assigned psalm for the week? So next week, in both rooms, Psalm 40. We invite you to go here and listen to it like you heard this morning. Read the psalm, think about it. Just, just let the words just run into your head and your heart. Let them become your prayer. Then record, write your own psalm, and this comes from, from Mike and Stefan, the prayer ministry. Uh, record your present feeling, emotion, situations. Recall a time when God has helped you in the past. Restate your understanding of who God is. Resolve to let God work through. This is not fancy or cool or you're going to impress your English teacher. This is just honesty. Just, just record what you're feeling with the Lord. Just recall a time when you sense his presence uniquely powerfully, when he helped you. Restate what that was like for you and then, okay, I'm going to resolve. I'm going to move forward with you, Lord. And then if you'd be willing, to, we, we invite you, electronically, please send it to mikear at trcpel.com. You can bring something written drawn to the church office, but we're going to develop a place where we're going to see each other's psalms. And our goal, our desire, so here's the bottom line. 
We want, can I tell you the secret? Here's the secret. We're trying to help everyone learn to pray using the prayer book of the church called the Psalms. If you will just read those Psalms, I I would guess, if you would just read these one Psalm a week and just not, just, just read it once or twice, just let these words start to wash. Soon the words start to find their place in here. They find their place in here. And then they find their place in here. So back to me. So I, I think I said this last week, I can't remember what service, but just be, before I asked you to confess your sins, I met with one of our elders. And we, we confessed juicy sins. The sins that I would not want you to know about. And so as we ended, I said to this person, so what was this moment of confession like for you? He used the words, this is humbling, it's humiliating, and it's free. So we met again this past week, and we have moved to another level of relationship because we were just honest with another part of who we are with each other. Now, fundamentally, we want to be honest with the Lord. So I'm going to push one more time, and I'll be done. The, the challenge that I see in our tribe, us, is many of us know many things in the head. We, we have things we know, we, things we say, things we sing. But for many of us, what we say and sing has not moved to here. We don't actually believe, listen, listen, this is going to sound so trite, that God loves us. So let me give you just two, two, little, two little examples. A grandpa story with grandkids, and then a dad story. So last week we had all our children came back to acknowledge Kirk's life and uh, stuff, and so we were here, and we took fishing, and uh, a three-year-old had a fishing pole and goes like this, and hooked a five-year-old, and it was obviously an interesting moment. <laughs> and the little one who got hooked was screaming, and the one who hooked. Him was screaming, and we're processing all that together. So what do you do in a moment like that when you're a grandpa? Do you yell at these stupid grandkids for hurting each other? And blah, 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 blah. What, what, what do you do? So what I did is I treated them the way I want to be treated. So I walked over to the one who was hooked, was crying, and he, the hook came out, and we put some stuff on it, and hugged and kissed, and then a bit later went to the one who was the, and hug and kiss. Why? When we mess up, we don't need anyone to tell us we messed up. Here's my wife, the coach's phrase to me. Kevin, your sons aren't trying to miss shots on purpose. <laughs> There's a, there's a grandpa story. How about a dad story? And about Kirk. So Kirk was learning to drive, and his older brothers had all been in accidents early on, so I'm guessing it was his turn. So he was learning to drive, and we went for a drive, and he came to our house on Monroe Street, and he came in a bit uh, before the garage door was all the way up. 
And he was so flustered, he put on the gas and set the brake. So he hit the front of the house. Dad, I'm not having a good day. I said, Kirk, it's okay. It's just a car. See, we, we need to be people who would just say, this is who we are. And then we experience grace. And then we share grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are such a good, good father. That you're inviting us to be free women and men and boys and girls. We thank you for the ways you have acted on our behalf, the wonder of the cross. We thank you that you who died are now alive. And in your living, you're pouring out your spirit. And we have opportunity to become new and different and better people. So we pray for honesty with our brokenness and our sin and our pain. And then we pray for ability to receive grace. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are with us and for us. And pray in Jesus' name, amen.